titles. They're an interesting thing. Um, some are bestowed on us uh, for various reasons. Some become a badge of honor as a result of that. Um, others are earned. Some are chosen. Uh, we all have different titles in our life, whether it be parent or you know son, daughter, husband, wife, um, judge. Congratulations, uh, Matt was appointed judge. We'll all have to stand um, at some point when he walks in the room. Um, He's cringing a little bit. He's cringing with that one. I told him I'd have to start, here comes the judge, here comes the judge. And so, anyway. <laughs> We all carry different titles in our lives that mean different things to different people. I mean, think about the title Christian. Uh, you know, it, it, it can mean different things depending on who you talk to in our world and, and their opinion and interaction with what we would understand as a Christian or the fact that they have it and they just hear uh, hear things and, and what that might mean. It, um, but what's interesting about that term is that Jesus never used it. He, uh, there's nothing wrong with the term. We use it all the time because we understand uh, what it is, but it does mean different things to different people. In fact, the, the term Christian is only used two, depending on your translation, maybe three times in all of the New Testament. In fact, the title Christian was actually first used uh, to make fun of those who were followers of Christ. You know, they, it was a group of non-believers basically saying, ha, look at those little, you think you're a bunch of little Christs. And they were making fun of, they're just imitators, you know. But to be an imitator of Christ, to understand what that fully means, you know, as a Christian would be a bit of flattery for me. Uh, it would, but it, for, for the people calling people Christians at that point, it was a derogatory term uh, that believers accepted. But Jesus never asked anybody to be a Christian, he asked them to be something else. Jesus called people to be his disciples. For example, there's a story in Matthew 9 um, that's, that starts, starting verse 9 says this, and Jesus out, went out from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, to be a tax collector Matthew would have been pretty much despised. It was a title because it was his job, and it, he would have been considered more by the Jewish local community as titles called traitor and criminal because they had this reputation for, for taking far more than, than what uh, was needed. And so, so people would have, while others detested him, Jesus would have loved him. And did love him. And he saw past 
all this stuff that on the outside and these titles and positions and where he's at. And he sees past that and he says, follow me. Now, he could have given a lot of other instructions. His, his instructions are two, follow me. But he could have said, you know, but he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't say, well, follow me to church. Follow me and I want you to do all these rules. But what he does ask is for Matthew, is will you leave where you are and follow me? Will you be my disciple? The Greek word that we use for disciple is, can also mean a learner, a student, a follower. And yet it goes much deeper. When we think of those things, we think of a classroom somewhere that we go to sit for a period of time to take notes, take a test, and call ourselves a student, a learner. And yet it goes so much deeper because by inviting Matthew to follow him, he is inviting him to be his disciple. It was a, it was a position of training, of understanding that you are following the rabbi in every aspect. And Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to live like I live. I want you to love like I love. And I want you to do what I do. So follow me. I'm not asking you to just to do just what I believe. But I am asking you to conform your life to my life. Let's do life together, Matthew. Let's go and change the world together. And Jesus wasn't asking him to join an organization. He, he wasn't just asking him to adhere, you know, within the rules of some belief system. Jesus was asking him to be a part of an eternal life-giving movement that started with belief. In the same way, Jesus desperately wants you and me. He isn't, you know, but he isn't going to share with the other things. He, he wants wholeheartedness. And he won't settle for anything less than his, our undivided attention. He wants complete commitment. So the result for Matthew, it says, so Matthew got up and he followed him. We've shared this over and over in the past month and a half. Being in God's will isn't so much about where you are as it is about who you are becoming. So here's the question. Who do you think you are? Those of you who have accepted Christ, you, you understand who Christ is and you become more and more aware of it as, as, we, as we study and you, and you live into who Christ is and you've accepted uh, the forgiveness that he's offered and you've, you've allowed your life to, to become transformed because your old life is gone, your new life has become and God's Holy Spirit is within you. You're not just a Christian. Because God's spirit, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in your life. He's active and moving. You are now an overcomer. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are salt and you are light. Why does that matter? Because when you know who you are, 
You know what to do. You are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You're not just a Christian, but you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are one who lives like Jesus lives. You love like Jesus loves. And you do what he did because your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. And as a result of that, as a disciple of Christ, the first thing we do is we find a need and we seek to meet it. You see, we, we, you can't just say, well, it's just about knowledge. It's Jesus is saying, follow me and do what I do. And so we have to, we, as we seek, we find needs, we seek to meet them. And we see something in Luke chapter 10, similar to this. Jesus is discussing eternal life and they get into Deuteronomy's statement and, uh, of two major commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And rather than just getting into a debate, the guy that's kind of prompting this discussion asks, well, who is your neighbor? Let's get it defined. And Jesus shares a story instead of giving an answer that he could just write down in notes. He tells a story of a guy who's been robbed, beaten up, stripped naked and left for dead. Afterwards, this has happened. He's left for on this road and the priest comes along. And the priest served as mediators between the people and God. It was the priests who were permit, permitted uh, to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And this guy would be a big deal in society. But the priest ignores him. He walks straight by. Next comes this guy who's a, a Levite. Now, the Levites are a religious bloodline. They are a special bloodline. You could be, you know, a, a priest had to be a Levite, but a Levite did not necessarily have to be a priest. And yet, he would know what God's matters word says about this matter. And yet, he sees the need. And walks on by. Along comes a Samaritan. Samaritans are hated by the Jews. They are considered a half-breed. Jesus went out. Jews went out of their way. When traveling from south Israel to the northern parts. And they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. Because we don't want to be contaminated by them. So for Jesus to use the Samaritan in this story as a primary character, an example of who is to be considered a neighbor is this big deal. And it says in Luke 10, 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and he saw him and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine. Then he put him in his F-150, took him to a holiday inn <laughs> to take care of him. That's not in your translation? 
And the next day he pulled out his visa card and he told the innkeeper, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense. So not just taking care of the current, but I'm going to keep on taking care of the needs of this person. And Jesus says this, go and do likewise. That's what it is to be a neighbor. You are a disciple. And as a disciple, you are instructed to go and to do likewise. You are to love like Jesus loved. You are to do what Jesus did. And you're to live like Jesus lived. But so often, I'll admit, I'm, I I'm often find myself in situations where sometimes I'm a bit more like the priest and the Levite. I see a need and I can walk straight on past because, you know, well, I'm busy and and, and I later think, well, why didn't I take care of that? Why, why didn't I do things? And I want to rationalize. And, and it's not because I'm bad. It's, I'm just busy. And we try to excuse ourselves. But the thing is, Jesus didn't excuse us in that situation. In fact, Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. He's busy. He's the guest of honor. And he finds out that nobody has washed the feet of the disciples. And so he grabs a bowl of water, an apron. He sees the need and he starts taking care of it. Others protest, but you're Jesus. You, you can't do this, Master. And he says, but I have to. As disciples, that's what we're called to do because when you know who you are, you know what to do. And I think sometimes we're guilty of overthinking it and, and going to, to all these different degrees. But Matthew 10, 42 says, And if anyone gives a cup of water, cold water to one of those little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. So here's the great news. All of us are capable of meeting the needs of someone. It can be something as simple as a cold cup of water. It can be a hello, a please, a thank you. It's meeting a simple need and encouraging someone. It can be that simple note of encouragement. Be we begin by finding, being found faithful in the small things and allowing God to bless and grow you. Secondly, as a disciple, find a hurt and go to heal it. Matthew 9, 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. One translation says that he taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news and healed their diseased bodies and he healed their bruised and hurt lives. I like that. Jesus doesn't just raise the dead. He doesn't just heal the sick. It's not just the big things. He also heals their hurt lives. He gets involved. He extends grace. He extends mercy. And an example was a lady who was caught in the act of adultery. And 
the, the ranking Jews come and throw her before Jesus, trying to catch him, and they want to they want to test him. They're ready to throw stones and to kill her because that's what the law says to do. And Jesus is brought into the middle of the situation. And his response is, those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. And it says one by one, they they all left. Jesus said, woman, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus sees a hurt. He extends grace. He extends mercy. And he begins this healing process. And he challenges her to live differently. Just a second. Allergies and cold weather don't go well with speaking. Then there's Peter. Peter is one of his closest disciples, and yet at the end, after, you know, toward the end of Jesus' ministry, he, he denies Jesus three times. He had the opportunity to speak up, to intervene, but he didn't. I mean, Peter had walked with Jesus for three years, he had sat around the fireplace. And he'd eaten with him, and he'd seen the the miracles and in all the different ways that Jesus had acted, and yet he denies him. And Jesus could have just written him off. But instead, Jesus comes back, and he encounters Peter, one of his best friends, one of his closest disciples. And after the resurrection, he says, Peter... I believe in you. You're my disciple. Peter, do you love me? Can you imagine what is going through Peter's mind at this point? Peter, do you love me? Peter's response, oh yes, you know I do, Lord. Go feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I do. Go and care for my lambs. Jesus sees the hurt. He sees the need for healing in Peter's life because at this point, Peter is debating everything that's gone on because he knows his own guilt. And so many of us feel like Peter at different points in our lives We're we're beaten down. We don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're anything. And Jesus comes in and he says, I believe in you. You are an overcomer. You are a masterpiece. You are my disciple. And that's what we are. As disciples, we encounter hurts. And we help bring restoration. It may be something as simple as caring and loving and listening and praying and helping someone. Because there are hurts all around us. But if we don't bring healing, if we don't begin that process, who will? Ultimately, it's all about love. 
John 13 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so as disciples of Jesus, when we find a need, we seek to meet it. As disciples, when we find a hurt, we seek to bring healing. And as disciples of Jesus, when we're going, we're going to do a whole bunch of other things that don't, you know, that Jesus asks us to do that don't neatly fit on a point in a page. That, that don't just get easily listed out. Why? Because Jesus said. Because Jesus calls us individually. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to do a whole bunch of other things that Jesus asks us to do that don't neatly fit into certain categories. Why? Because you're disciples of Jesus. And you're called to love like Jesus loved. You're called to uh, go where Jesus go went. We're called to live like Jesus lived. John 10 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. As disciples, learn to listen to Jesus' voice. Learn to listen to God and, and allow him to lead you. Allow him to direct your life. It's a lifelong commitment. It's not just one you made in kindergarten when you went to VBS and you call it good. It, it's something you have to live into on a daily basis. Jesus never called for you to be a fan. He called you to be a follower. It's not always going to be easy. Look at the disciples. Jesus is walking by and they're fishing. And he says, boys, leave it and come and follow me. They dropped everything and they followed him. Look at the widow. She comes to church. She feels God, you know, a call to give. And so she gives everything she had. Zacchaeus, a notorious tax collector. Jesus calls him out, points him out, and, and calls him, and, and he loves on him, and he becomes a follower of Christ. And then he says, I will give everything that I've stolen back four times. And then I'll give half of what I have to the poor. You see, when you're a disciple of Jesus, he's going to instruct you to do what he says because you are a disciple. You can make a difference in someone's life. As a disciple of Christ, Christ get, lives inside of you. He empowers you. He gives you the words to say. He gives you the compassion and the mercy that you need. He gives you the ability to speak into people's lives. And make a difference for eternity. Because you are a disciple. We're called to do what Jesus did. We're called to live like Jesus lived. We're called to love like Jesus loved. And it's nowhere, it's, it's nowhere well, I can just check that off because I did it this month. It's a lifelong process. And it won't make sense if those around you, around you, why you did what you did, except for understanding that Jesus instructs you to live differently. <clears throat> it won't make sense when you go off and do something different, but here's the deal. We're not living for the approval of mankind. 
We're not living to please others. We're not living just to fit into society, to be viewed as normal, because normal isn't working. We're called to live for God. He's the one we're here to serve. He's the one we're here to please. And the great news is, if you know the risen Christ, you know that your life is not your own. You belong to him. You are his disciples. You don't just believe what he said. You don't just do, you know, you don't just, you fully engage in it. You do what he did. You love how he loved. You make a difference in this world. And so we find a need and we meet it. We see a hurt and we try to be, bring healing and a whole host of other things that don't fit neatly because our lives are not our own. We belong to him. And when you know who you are, you know what to do. And then more than, the more and more you live into that, the more and more you want, any, more than anything else, you want to just please God because he is the maker the creator, the savior, the provider, the healer. The, he, he's the one that meets all needs when everything else falls aside. You are a disciple. Live for him. <laughs>